Hey everybody, it's Jason. Welcome or welcome back to the Mosaic Church Podcast. At the end of this podcast, please take a moment to connect with us on social media. It's a great place to learn more and to see what's happening at Mosaic. Most importantly, hope the following message encourages and inspires you to take a new step on your faith journey. Enjoy. So we sat in the room, and from across the room, my grandmother makes this large pronouncement to all of us there. Hey, that's still good. I look down at my present, which I just opened, and I'm starting to crumple up the wrapping paper. Hey, that's still good. And so, obviously, some of you can relate. So I kind of giggle. I'm like, uh, Grandma, this is wrapping paper, and it's ripped, and I'm going to throw this away. Thank you for the gift. I'm throwing away the wrapping paper. No, you're not. Come on. That's still good. So with a couple of Snickers, I, I take the paper, and I, and I hand it over to my grandmother. Now, if you've seen this interaction happen, perhaps you haven't. Let me explain what happens here. My grandmother now takes the piece of paper and begins smoothing it down on her lap to get out all the wrinkles and the creases. And then she ever so carefully folds it into this square-type formation and then takes this this paper, this used wrapping paper, and puts it on top of her pile of gifts with the same excitement of the gift I just gotten her. You know, when we're parents and we have young kids, there's a joke, like, I should just buy my kid a box because they play with that more than the toy. I'm thinking, shoot, Grandma, I should have given you some used wrapping paper, and this was over. But she would say, that's still good. My grandmother grew up during the Depression era, and she grew up in rural Wisconsin, and my grandmother didn't have a corner store like we have today. My grandmother didn't have like, oh, if you just need a screw, you go up to Home Depot or Ace or True Value or Menards or Lowe's or you go get a screw. No, they they didn't have that option. It was a bigger deal. So they would see things that were seemingly meaningless to us now as important or as precious. And so wrapping paper wasn't something that you just get every other day. For us, I'm like, wait till the day after Christmas, it's 50% off, buy 25,000 rolls, forget that you have them, then go and buy more wrapping paper, say, stink, I forgot, I spent all this money on wrapping paper, 50% off. They would reuse and reuse. They found value in things that today we find not valuable. Now let's fast forward to the year 2021. In 2021, we are the disposable generation. We throw away phones that are perfectly good because they're one year old, because a new brand has come out, so much so that we will spend over $1,000 or more to have something new when that old thing perfectly works. Now, just think of that generational gap. When you think of that generation and they're like, look, everything we have is useful, and now the year 2021 says everything is disposable, how there can be a contrast there. Because even though we see things as disposable, not everybody does. You buy new clothes because you want new clothes. You have the resources to buy new clothes. The the shirt could be perfectly fine. And I I remember my grandmother would knit and darn. Here's a word for you, right? (laughs) Darn the socks, right? 
And she'd fix stuff for me, and she'd put patches on my jeans, and she would fix things up for me because they were still good. That's still good. We get bored. And so then we buy something else, and then we go. Literally, if you go to any, like, St. Vincent de Paul's or Goodwill, you can get the coolest clothes, it seems now. Like, in my day, in my day, right? You go to Goodwill. <clears throat> no, nah, man, it was like polyester slacks, you know? Like, you weren't buying anything within the last 30 years of clothing, but we have become so disposable, we just dispose over and over and over again. The unity between these generations and of Jesus' generation and the generation we see in the scriptures is we see something actually very unique. Every generation accumulates things. My grandmother's generation, the GI generation, the silent generation accumulate things out of fear of loss because of the depression. And so they would accumulate as much as they could because they never knew if they were going to see that item again or what would they do if they didn't have an item or what would happen if another depression comes. There was so much fear-based and they would keep, keep, keep. This generation accumulates things. We accumulate for different reasons. We accumulate because of status. We accumulate because we have so much extra money. It's like, who cares? It's not a big deal. We accumulate in a completely different way, but it all stems down to the same thing. We are accumulators. We are hoarders. Now, I want you to think about why do people accumulate so much stuff? So if you have a lot of stuff, which I'm willing to say most of you have stuff, there's a couple of reasons why. One, if I can have what I need, I can protect myself. If I have everything I need, let's just look at the corona toilet paper shortage. Now, our family, I don't know where your family went, but our family was on that brink of where I had to start to make decisions. <laughs> that decision, if you're not reading between the lines, is we are almost out and I can't buy any. Like, what's something that we're going to have to sacrifice to make this process possible, right? Like, because people were so afraid, they accumulated as much toilet paper and as much water, and we started to accumulate, and we started to all of a sudden freak out and say, this will protect us. If I have everything I need, my family's safe. Good luck with yours. Another one is that it gives us a false sense of safety. If I have enough things for me, then I feel safe. If I have enough money in my retirement fund, if I have enough clothes, if I have enough money, I will feel safe. You can't get at me if I have enough stuff. But then we've, we've also experienced a recession. And we've experienced what happens when the stock market crashes. And all of a sudden, our entire sense of safety is gone. And then you see people frantically going in all directions, which is actually the cause and where we see the Great Depression happen. Some accumulate things to build a social status. If I can get enough of fill-in-the-blank, at least then I will be respected. It could be cars, it could be jewelry, it could be homes, it could be vacation homes, it could be traveling. We could add all these things. Like if I get enough stuff and accumulate, I now am seen as important in the community. I kid you not, the other day I pull up to a stop sign in Slinger, and I pull up to the stop sign, and up next to me pulls a Corvette. Um, and if you have a Corvette, cool, I'll give you my address, drop it off anytime. So this Corvette pulls up, 
And I felt my eyes like a tractor beam just turning. And I just started to drool. This was a beautiful machine. I'm like, how do you drive that in Wisconsin? But it doesn't matter. It's so beautiful. Like, it just looked like power. And right away, my first instinct and my thought, I kid you not, was this person must be important. I have no idea how they got the Corvette. Could have been given to him for free because, I don't know, he sold enough stuff at work. But I saw that Corvette, and I'm like, that is power. And I turned back, and I'm like, that will preach on Sunday. It was awesome. <laughs> Sometimes people use what they accumulate to show power over others. If I get enough stuff, then you'll listen to me. If you have to ask me for something, now I have power over you, and I can lord that power over you. And if I have the resources you need, you are beneath me. This would happen all the time, actually, in Jesus' time with kings. They would accumulate great amounts of wealth, and they'd build these huge statues showing how great in importance they were. Like, their whole idea is, how do we leave a legacy to show how great of a king I was? But doesn't work, does it? Because you don't know their names. Statues were built, statues fall, wealth is gained, wealth is gone, things come, things go. Of all the things I accumulated in my life and the things that I wish I would accumulate a lot more of were toys from the 80s because then I would be wealthy. <laughs> toys from the 80s, when we would get these toys, I'd open up on Christmas Day, oh, new, brand new Star Wars, rip, 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 play, play, play. And I'm like, if I would have kept it in the box, it would have been like worth $2,000 now. But other than that, most of our stuff doesn't keep value. Most of our stuff goes down in value. I mean, I've got my first cell phone. It is worth a lot of money, said nobody ever. My first cell phone was this huge brick. And then we had phones used to flip. Like you have like flip phones. And then you had the razor phones. And then you had the sidekick. The kids are like, what are you talking about right now? Those who are tracking what I'm saying, you can have a real keyboard on your phone. And the iPhone came out. I was like, I'm never going to buy that. That's never going to go anywhere. I'm going to get a BlackBerry instead. Bad choice. <laughs> we get these things, and we, we don't really see things with clear eyes because we accumulate, and the stuff we get goes down in value. It's not worth anything. And we start to get this idea that if I have more, I have power, I have value, these things are important to me, therefore they're important to everybody, and now I am safe. But Jesus teaches about us, all about this in his teachings. For those who are just joining in, we're in this series called Return to the Sermon on the Mount. We walked through the first half of the Sermon on the Mount, now we're on the second half. And the Sermon on the Mount is a fantastic teaching of Jesus, which he keeps taking the idea that what you see in life it's a, it's a kingdom upside down. I'm going to flip the way you think and actually start to show you the things that you value are not valued in the kingdom of God. In the kingdom of God, this terminology, if you've read the Bible before, heard of it, is when Jesus is ruling as the king, these are the way things are in the rules of his kingdom. And what we find out is that Jesus' way of kingdomship is usually opposite to our life. And so there is a vast contrast. So when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it feels like every time Jesus opens his mouth, he's like punching us in the face over and over again, like, ooh, that hurts, ooh, that hurts. He says this and that, and you're like, well, that's not possible, and how could that be? And you read the Sermon on the Mount with all these teachings, you say, that's impossible. 
this is another one of those teachings. Because this is going to go after the thing that's going to make you feel a bit uncomfortable. Now, depending on your church history and story, I want to address this first. If you've been in a, in a past church story and you've heard stories about money and you felt manipulated or you've seen churches waste money and all that, I first of all, I want to say I'm sorry because that's not the kingdom of God. That's not God's value system. If you've seen churches or Christians waste resources, waste things, you're like, oh my gosh, why would I want to be a part of that? There's that pastor in his own private jet, yet he says he worships God. I'm going to say this. I don't judge that dude. I don't know that dude. So I, I don't even have a name in mind. I'm just saying this. When I read the Bible, I see something different. Because what, if there's a little tension when you talk about resources and the things you own and your money and your possessions, if you feel a little tinge inside, you have to ask the question, I wonder why there's a tinge inside. Why does this make me feel a little bit uncomfortable? Why do I not want to talk about it? And that's why I'm asking you to engage this passage today. Wherever you are on your faith journey in this, just listen to a story that Jesus is going to give to us that's going to show a contrast of kingdom values. The purpose of this sermon is not to say, hey, I'm really glad you're here. Sell your house and give it to Mosaic. But we can talk about that after. That's cool too. But I'm not saying that. <laughs> what I am saying is that Jesus talks more about money than any other topic that we have written down in Scripture for a reason. There's a reason why, because it shows our allegiance and what we think, and I'm going to use the word obsess about. Obsessing is this idea of like, what is, has your attention all of the time? What's your focal point? And our focal points, we find out when Jesus teaches. No, he wrote this. I did not. He said this. Our focal point whatever it has to do with resources changes the way we have relationship with God because God is a radically generous God and when we are not, it's in contrast to the kingdom. So we're going to jump into Matthew. Uh, the passage will be up on the screen, Matthew chapter 6. I want you to take a listen to this passage. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Your eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Wow, gentle teaching. Thank you, Jesus. He takes this, this idea and just is like throwing haymakers at, at like our hearts. And when we're going through this passage, we've got to break down like what is the big deal about this? If Jesus talks more about money than sex, more about heaven and more about hell, there's something extremely dangerous about money. There's a danger there. I want you to just think of that word, danger. There's danger there. He's warning us because he's a good God who loves us, and so he is throwing a warning shot out to us. There's a dangerous thing here. If you have it and you self-depend on it, it corrupts you. 
If you don't have it and you crave it, it corrupts you. Either having the resources or not having the resources, it's in the same ballpark. It can corrupt you. Never thought of it that way. When I read this passage, I always thought like, oh yeah, well, it's cool because I'm broke, so we're good. You know, like, <laughs> but it's not at all what's being said. What he is saying is that actually the, uh, the attention point of someone who desires will do anything they can to actually try to get more because they believe that will make them safe. And those who have resources say, I've got resources, so therefore I am safe. And when you say that you're safe, you've pushed out the need for God 100% because he is the good father that you rely on to take care of you, to give you breath and to provide. Why do you need him? It's all about me. And so the true concept here is Jesus is warning us about something very, very dangerous. Back to the passage. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Everything in American lifestyle says, let's get more. We're hoarders. And if you've ever seen the, the show Hoarders, Hoarders is a very difficult show to watch. Hoarders is this show where they find someone who has an addiction and they're filling this addiction or this need or this brokenness with the act by accumulating all of these things. And actually, they will accumulate garbage. They will accumulate and they'll go and they'll buy and buy and buy. They will buy clothing. They will buy newspapers. They will buy and buy and buy and buy. And what's unique about each of these stories, almost every story has some traumatic event in their life in which they go back to it and they're trying to fill a broken need. There's stories of women who've lost their children and then they buy all these stuffed animals to start to fill in that need and buy the collection because that child loved cows. So they buy thousands of stuffed cows to make themselves feel better. There's this darkness that happens within them and you watch these people cry as the therapists try to throw away garbage. They can't even live in their house. They, they can't walk through. It's dangerous. Most of the houses are condemned. Most of the plumbing doesn't work. You see this, just this downgrading way of thinking by thinking, if I can get more stuff around me, I will be safe. If I can just have these things, I'll remember my daughter. If I can have these things, I'm good. I watch this show from time to time. And I'm like, my word, is this so hard to watch? And as I was preparing, I'm like, you know, are we really any different? Are you really any different? Like, maybe you don't get full rooms full of garbage, but do you use money and resources to make yourself feel better? Ah, if I just had that, I would feel better. Retail therapy. If I just go on Amazon and I buy a couple of more things on it, people are laughing because you know it's you. If I could just get on Amazon and that box comes and you're like, I don't remember what this was. <laughs> Why did I need this can opener? I guess I did. I don't know. It goes in the drawer. Like this act. We just keep accumulating and accumulating and accumulating. And perhaps Jesus is warning us. And maybe from his kingdom perspective, 
we are hoarders. From kingdom perspective, we keep using resources to keep ourselves safe and to make some sort of big insulated area to say, see, I'm good. Nothing can harm me. My 403 is good. My retirement is good. My house is good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we do. But the idea here, guys, is that the, when we are living in this type of thinking, it's counter to the kingdom. And Jesus gives us this warning. You have an opportunity to use the resources which God gave you in the first place to do something that lasts forever. Let me say this again. You have the opportunity to use what God's given you right now in this day and age to impact the kingdom forever. I love the idea that we get to be a part of a story and that God uses all these facets of our life to be part of his kingdom-mindedness. And I, I love good meals. I love good meals. I love when you go out and have like a really fancy like sit-down meal. Um, I don't like the fancy sit-down meals where they give you like, like two little like balls of things and you're like, that was $800. I'm like, what? That wasn't even good. Like, <laughs> give me a buffet any day, man. You know, like $6.99, all you can eat, I'm in. But I do like the fancy things. And you go to have a nice fancy restaurant, you sit down, and the, and the bill comes. And that bill, $300, $400, $500. Who knows, right? I've never done this. Y'all have. So you got this. But you get this bill that's immense. And my thought always is, is when any bill comes, I'm not an eat-out guy. I don't like it because this is what I think. What a waste of money. I can go home right now and have a bologna sandwich, and that cost me 50 cents, right? But I also grew up with not a lot, having a lot of money when I was a child. I grew up with a different perspective. And so when I see this wasted resource, I find no value to it. I'm like, man, I could have done so much more. I say that about food, but at the same time, I do that with other things. Because food's not value to be, valuable to me, I do in other things. I collect stupid things. I'm like, oh, man, I really could use that, that old retro that NES system, you know, 8-bit. I need a couple of new games to put on there so I can relive my childhood because if I go back to my childhood, then I have all the happy times. It wasn't all stressed out, so let me go play Super Mario 2. Great game. I always pick Luigi. And, you know, like, go and do this. If I could do that, I do the same thing in different areas. And perhaps maybe it's not food for you. Perhaps it's not video games or retro or whatever. But isn't it the same way we try to fill something inside of us that makes us feel good through our resources. And hear what I'm saying. You do have to use your resources. You do have to use resources to take care of yourself. That's not what this passage is about. Please buy food and toilet paper for yourself and your families, okay? But when you use something that's burned up like gasoline, it's used and done. Once it is gone, it is gone. And Jesus says, hey, how about you don't use resources like gasoline? What if you use your resources as an investment for something that will last for eternity? There's gasoline living and there's eternity living. Yeah, you need gas. Jesus didn't say you can't use gas. You got to use gas to get around, but it burns out and you fill it again and therefore it doesn't last forever. However, there's eternity resourcing, things that's going to make an impact forever. The old saying, some of you have heard this before, you never see a U-Haul following a hearse. It's absolutely true. In fact, when I do funerals, a lot of times it's very 
sad. Because we will go into situations where people uh, will have so many things. Now, generationally, there's a difference in generation. The older generations see their items as valuable because they did not have them. The younger generation sees everything as replaceable and disposable. So then you see someone from an older generation pass, and I watch these children say, what am I going to do with all of this junk? And they take carloads and trailers into goodwill, and they drop off, and I see the stress of a family because the only thing that's valuable to them in their current family situation would be, you know, picture books, memories, maybe an heirloom, and new technology because everything's disposable. But yet this person lived their entire life thinking, all these things are going to keep me happy. I'm going to pass them on to my family. You're going to be set forever. And the truth is, there's no U-Haul and your family doesn't want it. What, you're, what the family does want, what the family does want is for the family to find joy. So there's tension even with family members like, who wants, I don't want to take care of this. You want, I don't want to take care of this stuff. And so instead of bringing joy, there's tension. But the belief system of that person is like, these things I have are actually going to bring you comfort. Things have changed. But something hasn't changed. We believe having stuff makes us happy, gives us contentment, protects us. So what temporary thing, if there's anything temporary, if there's anything inside of you right now, that's saying, how much am I investing my resources in myself? And how am I using my resources to impact others? Let's just think of eternity from a perspective. God values people. He doesn't value stuff. He created stuff. He can create more stuff. He values his children, image bearers. So he says to you, the stuff that you have, how do you value others? How do you give that away? In our home, we have this statement. I say, everything we have for everybody else, which is really fun until people break all your stuff. <laughs> but it's true. If we have the mindset of what we have is not ours, but to actually bless others, imagine a community of people. Let's just, let's just dream. If an entire community of people believed that what they had is to bless others, would we need any help from any government agency? Would we need help from anybody else outside of the community? If a community said, hey, somebody's hurting, let's help them, they would have more than enough resources because we're seeing what we have to impact community, to help broken people, to help the single mom who doesn't have anything, to help that person over there who just lost their job. If we had our resources to advance the kingdom of God and his principles, an entire community would change because that's how powerful the gospel is. The gospel is so powerful that Jesus Christ did all the work, died, rose again, and offers us a new life. And his kingdom that he has now is so powerful that when you live this way, you actually are free. You're free. If you're a college student or a high school student or junior high student, worry about what you're going to do for your life because you're worried about how much money you're going to make. I ask you to think of a different question. What if your question is this? What do I want to do to impact eternity with the life God's given me? Maybe we should stop talking about what I can get and start moving to what I can give. Because I remember in high school, and I have it written in my thing, 
blah, 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 make lots of money and get paid in my yearbook. So huge fail. Never put stuff in your yearbook. You can go back on it, right? <laughs> what if a young generation, what if our generation now, Generation Z, now says this? Gen Z says, look, we hear, our, we hear from the past. We see our fathers and mothers, and we're going to make a change. And now we're going to use what God's given us to change the world. Because Generation Z is one of the most passionate, outward-thinking care communities that there is, we've seen in human history. But at the same time, they are driven to take care of themselves out of fear. What if fear is released and then this generation changes everything? I dream of a group of people that actually believe that their resources that they have is to bless and care for others. I dream of communities that people are like, what is going on here? I dream of not only our church, the real, the big church, the big C church, starts rethinking the way that they are thinking to say, hey, what's given to us? What can we do to give back to others? But there's a problem, and Jesus talks about it. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is this darkness? We can't see clearly the kingdom of God way of living when we have clouded, dark eyes. My wife, uh, over a year ago, my wife has eye problems. She's a diabetic, and we've been dealing with her eye issues for years. And diabetes does terrible things to the eyes. If you, if you are diabetic or know of them, it's part of the, the symptoms of the disease. And it was right around Easter time, right before Easter last year, we're preparing our online services. She woke up and she came to me. She said, I can't see out of my eye. I only see darkness. Her one eye had gone completely black. There was no vision. She could see out of one eye and one eye was completely blind. The terror that ensued in both myself and her as we start to figure out what is going on. Now, she had a procedure earlier. She had a procedure done to help her, but now she's blind to that eye. My first thought, my mind's going a mile a minute, as you could imagine, right? As we're trying to figure this out, what's really happening? And we call the doctor, and we get in, and we, we didn't know what to do, and we're scared. And my wife's eyes have never recovered. Yes, she can see. What happened, there's a blood clot that came in that eventually went away, but if you know anything about diabetes, they don't heal quickly. Diabetics don't heal the same way that others do. And so this long standing, it's a year later, and I watch my wife who has blurred vision stumble over things and trip and fall and cannot see clearly what is going on. In the same way, when our eyes are bad, when we are not looking at kingdom-mindedness, you are going to stumble and trip and fall. Jesus' entire teaching, not just on resources, but his entire teaching on the sermon is, focus and become obsessed with the kingdom of God. Then everything else is going to fall away. If you are kingdom-minded, you will see clearly. When you are kingdom-minded, your resources don't matter to you. When you're kingdom-minded, you get excited about advancing other people, not just yourself, because that is the kingdom of God. But when your eyes are bad, all of you is bad. You can't see. And Jesus knew this. So perhaps that's part of the reason we're having such a hard time living kingdom-mindedness 
is that we have such a hard time engaging this idea that I don't really see the kingdom that way. Now, Jesus taught it, which meant it's important. But he goes on and he says something else, giving an analogy of using our vision once again. When we think of Jesus, the eye is the lamp of the body. The eyes are healthy. The whole body is full of light. The eyes are unhealthy. The whole body is full of darkness. What does it mean then for you and resources? He says this, No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot be a selfish, self-serving, self-reliant, I'm good, everyone else can get outside. You can't live that way and still say, oh, but I want to be in the kingdom because God is a generous God. How generous is our God? It was so generous when we sat down to plan a church. We sat down and said, you know, what the most important things that I want to focus our church on is like, what are the main things that we are going to die on a hill on? One of them is called radical generosity. Radical generosity is one of our five core values. Everything we have for everyone else. Now, this can be a really cute statement, but let me tell you what it's like in the early days when resources are not coming in, but we're radically giving it away. You want to know the tension point when we, can we pay our bill? It doesn't matter. Somebody needs help. And we give it away. It says this. This is what's written, and you can read it on our webpage if you'd like, but it says this. It says, the beginning of time, God has been the embodiment of generosity by making us stewards of what is rightfully his. We deliberately pray for God's blessing in our lives, not to keep or hoard, but so that God would reach someone else through our generosity. However, however, we understand generosity is not limited to material things. We believe we should also be radically generous with grace, mercy, and forgiveness that God has extended to each of us through Jesus' death. That was written three years ago. Three years ago, we sat down and said, God, what are you asking us to do as a church? How are we called to be not another church plant, but a church that's called to a mission for such a time as this, because Washington County doesn't need another church. He's called to be a different type of church. What can we do as a church and say, what if we were just radically generous outwards and gave money away and helped the poor and did the things I think Jesus did? Not so that God gives us more and like some kind of weird kind of rub the genie, I do this, God, so you give me what I want. But what if we say, we want to invest in the kingdom of God instead of the kingdom of man? Yes, we have to turn on the lights. Yes, thank you. I also have food on my table because of your generosity. But that's only a piece. Jesus says, take care of those things. But more so, what does it look like to be radically generous? This is what we do that you probably don't know. As a very small church plant, we dedicated ourselves right away to 14% of everything that comes in goes out. The goal is to have 25% of everything that comes in goes out. The greater goal is 50% of everything that comes in goes out. 50% of what comes into our giving goes to help people. Think about this now. We are doing this but right now currently globally. We have international workers that are in Bosnia. We have international workers that are in non-access places, places we can't talk about because they can't be found. We're there on mission, reaching people no one would reach, and you're part of that because we give to that fund. We are... Uh, 
part of something both here locally. You've heard our partnership with Hope Street. But I do something that's a little weird, and this is what I love about being radically generous. You don't have to be a church organization for us to be, or, to be radically generous. We sponsor Little League and Slinger because that was a start of something that drew into my heart to say, what if we we're just part of a community? What church invests in the community? We invest in the high school. We invest in helping raise funds for other scholarships for kids to go to college. We want to invest in people's lives. We want to invest in the kingdom. We want to have a community say, if this church leaves, what are we going to do? Because of our generosity, because of our love, because of our service, because of what we see Jesus being kingdom-minded. We also give into our care ministry. We have a benevolent ministry or care ministry that we offer and give out finances for people who are in hard times. And I'm going to say this about, about that care ministry, which, man, I love this thing. A lot of times when you get into churches helping people financially, it's hidden on a subpage, 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 if you can find it. Or you call somebody and it'll be, uh, yeah, let me have somebody call you back. And then you have to fill out an application process. And then, and I, I'm just talking out loud here, so if this is a church, you know, not, there's no names in my mind. Uh, it will then be, we'll help you, but now you've got to come work at our church. You have to serve us and we'll serve you. And I said, I read the Bible. I read this passage. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, I'm supposed to invest in the kingdom. And so I don't care if you go to our church or don't go to our church. We want to help. Now, we have limited resources. You're like, hey, can I get 10 grand? I'm like, huh, no, I don't have it, you know? But when people go through hard times, when people are at their lowest point, we want to be the church family that says, we are Mosaic, you're welcome. We don't make them come to Sunday services. We don't make them do anything. We just love them and bless them because that's what we believe Jesus would do. Jesus was radically generous, and I love our care ministry. We also are part of a church planning ministry we give into church planning to make churches that make churches that make churches that make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Our dream is that Mosaic will have church upon church that we can help launch into the community. And the radical generosity of why we're here and why there's a 206 building is because other churches and friends have radically gave to us. When we're at our lowest point, I've had pastors who are not affiliated with us call and say, Jason, our elders have met. We want to give you... Money to help you get into that building. We know you're homeless. We want to help. I have experienced radical generosity at a crazy rate in this way of church planting that just fueled my fire. Obviously, it's a passion point. This is a long sermon for a reason. I love it. I love it because it changed my life, friends. I never gave. I would go to church, and I would give 20 bucks, and I'd go and buy other stuff. I would be very stingy with my time, with the, my resources, things that I had. Hey, can I borrow that? I'm like, ah, nah, man. I was the person that I'm speaking about. I'm not there yet. I'm still learning. I will say this. When I turned to radical generosity, my heart exploded and saw people in a whole new way. I actually saw all of you differently. I saw resources differently. I saw our community differently. I saw everything differently. And that's my journey. We're all on a journey. But I'm here to share with you. I don't preach at you with this. I say I'm the guy with his arms folded in the back saying, I've heard this message before. I don't believe it until I did it. It changed my life. 
Because it's not just in the church environment. I see my life, my family, our resources that way. And I want to know what I can do to help and bless people, not, through the, not even through the church environment. Yes, here, but also in my own life. People you know. It just changes the way you see. So radical generosity. Jesus teaches us a kingdom principle that makes us squirm a little bit, but he gives us a warning sign of something that's dangerous. Friends, your spiritual life completely shifts when you see everything you have for everybody else. And you now move into a place where Jesus is on his mission to bring his kingdom to earth. Because God is generous, we will be generous. Once again, thank you so much for listening. If you live in Southeast Wisconsin, we'd love to connect with you at our weekend gathering for service time, directions, and to learn more about our vision to ignite a movement of love that transforms our community and the world, visit us at mosaicwi.com.